Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss have got just five weeks left to set out why they should be the UK's next prime minister. I will deliver tax cuts, but tax cuts you can believe in. I will make that happen. I will campaign as a Conservative, and I will govern as a Conservative. I am ready to be Prime Minister from day one. And this week, Tory party members are receiving their ballots. Both candidates have been carefully crafting the story of where they come from and what kind of leader they will be. I got to where I am today through hard work and aspiration, and I went to comprehensive school in Leeds. My mum, who ran the local chemist, and my dad, a local NHS GP, gave everything so that we could have more than they had. But with the country's future at stake, what do we really know about them? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Jenny Kleeman. Today, Sunak versus Truss, a whistle-stop guide to the next PM. For Times Radio's political correspondent Charlotte Ivers, the contrast between the two candidates was most visible one night last year. I remember both of the candidates on this night and my memories of them, I think, are really indicative of both of them and who they are and what their priorities are. The evening in question, the last one of the 2021 Tory party conference. Liz Truss was the big story of that night. She went out clubbing and not only did she go out clubbing, she went out clubbing to a big gay club with all of the young LGBT Tories and she brought with her the Australian High Commissioner and there were photos of them just having selfies with all these young people, just having the absolute time of their lives. 
Then I remember Rishi Sunak that night as well. And specifically, I remember walking past this huge queue round the block for the big tent in which the Institute for Economic Affairs were holding their events. And Sunak was giving a speech that night. I think it was the only big speech that he was giving apart from on the main stage at Conservative Party conference. And it really was the big hot ticket. And of course, he was giving a very serious talk about the economics of the country and about his economic vision. And it just struck me how they play the game of how they enjoy themselves. And I think what's also rather interesting is the difference it shows up in them in terms of who they are. Because Rishi Sunak is broadly the same person in private that you see in public. Whereas the big thing that everybody will say to you about Liz Truss is that she's significantly more carefree and fun in private than she is in public. Anyone who has followed the debates, the public debates between Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss now knows the familiar stories that they tell about their childhoods. Can you give us the highlights? Liz Truss grew up in Leeds in Roundhay. She's the daughter of a maths professor. Interestingly, I was speaking to one of her longtime colleagues and friends who was saying to me, the thing you've got to understand about Liz Truss that nobody understands about Liz Truss is that she thinks of herself first and foremost as a mathematician. She's incredibly methodical. She likes processes. She likes to treat the world as if it's an engineering problem. And a lot of that does come from that upbringing. She went to the local school. She's given a lot of talk about this idea that going to that school and seeing her contemporaries let down by the education system made her a conservative because she wanted to provide opportunity and she wanted to provide people a route out. I felt a lot of children in my school were let down by poor quality education, by not encouraged to get a grip of the basics like English and maths and told that they would succeed by taking a world of work course when they weren't getting the basic necessities to be able to succeed in life. There was a sort of soft bigotry of low expectations. That is very much her origin story. There has been a bit of backlash against this. You've got former teachers and former pupils telling the mirror, for example, that actually it was a pretty good school. She had a lot of opportunities there. She was given extra special lessons to help her get into Oxford. It wasn't some great tragic story. Then you've got a similarity there with Rishi Sunak, a man who is now immensely wealthy, partly through his own private enterprise, his career in hedge funds, but also due to his marriage to a billionaire. As a result of that, we've seen him really downplaying his background as well. He went to Winchester School, obviously one of the most prestigious and expensive schools in the country. He grew up in Southampton. We hear a lot from him about how his parents had to scrimp and save to get by. Education is everything, right? That is a, that is a kind of ingrained value in my family, and it was like that's how you provide a better life. We worked very hard. They wanted to get us to good schools, and I was, you know, I was helped along the way with with support and scholarships here and there. But you know, fundamentally, that was something they believed in, which has become what I believe. And again, there's some debate over exactly how much scrimping and saving had to go on. A couple of his friends, more recent friends, to be fair, I've spoken to, have said that they think this is probably a slight exaggeration, although no doubt 
that is a hugely expensive outgoing for any family. So I can see the case for Rishi Sunak having felt like that was something that put his family under a huge amount of pressure. You've got both candidates then downplaying the privileges that they had growing up. What does this tell us both about them and about the Tory party members that they're trying to appeal to? Such an interesting phenomenon, isn't it? Because, of course, it was the case that the last two prime ministers selected by the Conservative members were both from immense privilege. You had David Cameron and Boris Johnson both going to Eton. Both of them went to Oxford University, both from very wealthy backgrounds, and both of them made little attempt to hide that. You had something of a call me Dave element from David Cameron, but nothing on the scale that we're seeing now. So I think the fact that we are now seeing this sort of for Yorkshiremen race towards the bottom, in a sense, is indicative of something that has shifted within the Conservative Party. We're potentially seeing a response to the economic times. Partly as well, I think this is a defensive mechanism. Some allies of Liz Truss came out very early to make that contrast between Rishi Sunak's more privileged upbringing and Liz Truss's. And as a result, Sunak has been forced to respond. And it does seem to get a rise out of him as well. That's what motivated me to go into but you politics. Keep that's why, I, that's in why I want to. Yeah, let, let me, you know, because Liz, you have, you have brought that against. up. Well, hang on, Liz, you, you brought you brought it up before as well. So let me just address it. Look, my my parents were part of an immigrant family that came here. They didn't start with very much, but they worked day and night, saved and sacrificed to provide a better future for their three children. So I think that's probably why you've seen Liz Truss highlight their relative upbringings in debates every now and again, and. Do you think this downplaying of privilege that you've grown up with, is that something to do with the Conservative Party wanting to position itself as the party of aspiration? I think that's probably very much what is happening. Aspiration is so central to the modern Conservative Party. You will rarely get a leader's speech at Conservative Party conference which doesn't mention those words. And there seems to be a sense in which both Sunak and Truss are trying to show themselves as the living embodiment of that particular Conservative value. Let's now come to their experiences of becoming Tory MPs. They had quite different paths to becoming MPs. Tell us first of all about Liz Truss because she wasn't a Tory at first. Liz Truss was not a Tory at first. Liz Truss was a Lib Dem in her late teenage years and a fairly active one at that. We came across a group of three people. I'd say they were around 50, 60, looked fairly middle class, rather smart, in fact rather reactionary to be perfectly frank. (laughs) We asked them their opinion of the monarchy. Do you know what they said? They said, abolish them. We've had enough. She played a role in various different conferences and in votes for national bodies. But then when she went to university, she became a Conservative. She was 25, 26 when she started getting seriously involved. She got put on David Cameron's fabled A-list of candidates. This was a list of people who were meant to represent the modern ideal of the Conservative Party. They were younger, they were more liberal, they were from ethnic minorities, they were women. And the idea was if you were on the A-list, you would get fast-tracked into some of the best Conservative seats in the country. So Liz Truss is on this list, very much a rising star, and then it all somewhat comes a cropper for her. She gets selected for South West Norfolk, which is a very lovely, leafy 
safe Conservative seat. And after she is selected, there's a bit of a backlash. Madam, just how squeaky clean do we expect our MPs' morals to be after a summer of scandal over MPs' expenses? Another row has broken out in the Conservative Party, this time over standards of sexual behaviour. She had an affair in a previous life with Mark Fields, who was at the time a Conservative MP and who was married. Norfolk Southwest Constituency Party is threatening to deselect their candidate Elizabeth Truss because she didn't tell them she had an affair with a married man five years ago. Some of the local association essentially said, we weren't told about this before we voted for you. We want another vote. David Cameron very much swung in behind Liz Truss. Liz Truss also won that vote of no confidence by a considerable margin and ended up going on to get into Parliament at the general election. But it was a pretty bruising encounter, to be honest. Right from the start, you've got Liz Truss as something of an outsider, as someone who has had to fight back against the party establishment against even her own local constituency. And a lot of people who I've spoken to about her say that this is one of the big reasons why she has had to build this defensive veneer, this very serious persona, this almost awkward persona that we're seeing in debates that protects her in a way and that gets people to take her seriously. And has she been taken seriously by the media since early on in her political career? There was a long period where Liz Truss was broadly considered a bit of a media joke. She, of course, became an object of mockery after her Tory party conference speech as environment secretary when she famously decried the amount of cheese that this country imports. I want to see us eating more British food here in Britain. At the moment, we import two thirds of all of our apples. We import nine tenths of all of our pears. We import two-thirds of our cheese. That is a disgrace. There has been a real concerted effort to improve her public speaking style since that time. That is perhaps part of that development from this slightly joking figure to a much more serious politician. She was in the Ministry of Justice, for example, when there was a prison riot. She is in the Foreign Office when the Ukraine invasion took place. So she's been in these immensely serious roles and clearly has made a concerted effort to move away from that slightly more comedic past. So she's come a long way since the cheese incident. Has she been tipped to be a future leader for a long time? Was she seen as a rising star in the party? Not until very recently. Her name started to be bandied around when Boris Johnson's most recent round of troubles began. So we're probably talking about midway through last year. Meanwhile, Rishi Sunak, he had quite a different journey, didn't he? He was elected into Parliament in 2017, seven years after Liz Truss, and he had a kind of a a much smoother time, it's fair to say. He really did. I remember when Rishi Sunak was first elected. Madam Deputy Speaker, thank you for allowing me to make my first contribution to this House. Very safe seat, Richmond, Yorkshire, William Hague's old seat. Wandering through an auction market... I was introduced to a farmer as the new William Hague. He looked quizzically at that point. (laughs) And then then said, ah, yes, Hagee, good bloke, like him. Bit pale, though, this one's got a better tan. (laughs) 
it was only a matter of weeks before I was seeing the first mentions of him crop up in newspaper articles as one of the leading lights of tomorrow's Conservative Party. He was one of the first of that intake into government. He, of course, as Chancellor, became immensely politically popular and successful over the course of coronavirus. Don't forget as well that he was hugely overpromoted in a way when he became Chancellor. He really hadn't done his time as a junior minister. He was there, of course, because Sajid Javid had resigned after Dominic Cummings had got the Prime Minister to get Javid to fire all of his advisers. And Javid, rather than doing so, decided that he would just go. Good afternoon, Chancellor. How do you feel about taking over in these circumstances? Delighted to be appointed. Lots to get on with. Thanks very much. Are you going to be the Prime Minister's puppet? So the thought was, when Sunak came in, that he would be there as a bit of a pushover, as someone too young to really make his own calls. But he didn't end up being that. And I think, again, this is a way in which he's very different to Liz Truss in his experience because he has had this gilded, charmed political life in a way that Liz Truss definitely hasn't. And you can see the impact on his character in a very different way. Firstly, you don't have that big shield being put up in front of him. Rishi Sunak is basically the same person in private as he is in public. But also, he is significantly less good at dealing with attacks and with the everyday political rough and tumble than Liz Truss is. So you'll remember when the shine first started to come off Sunak, when you had the stories about his green card not being handed in when he became a government minister. I I had a green card because I, as a legacy of my time living and working in America, nothing more than that. I always believe I've uh, acted on the advice of officials. And indeed, on my my first trip last year to the US as Chancellor, I discussed with the US authorities the appropriate course of action and at that point uh, returned my green card. You had stories about his wife's non-DOM status. I think my, my wife has made her own statement about these matters. She's always followed all the rules, but she recognises this goes beyond just following those rules. So she's decided to pay both UK and foreign taxes on her foreign investments, and I fully support her decision to do so. He responded hugely defensively, and he looked really rattled and really angry, actually, that people were daring to question him on that type of thing. And I remember at the time, a lot of Conservative MPs saying to me, I would have backed him as leader until this has happened, because I just don't think he's up to the level of scrutiny that you would need to be up for as Prime Minister. And so I think because of that rather charmed political life, he never really learnt the defence mechanisms that are now serving Liz Truss very well in quite a vicious contest, let's be honest. When talking about this charmed political life that, that some politicians have, I always wonder... How do you rise very quickly? How does it work? Did he make the right friends? Did he make the right impression? What was it? Honestly, it's a completely impossible question in some ways because a lot of these things are completely inexplicable. Do you have a face that fits? Do you fill a gap in the team that is needed? Do you get on with the right people? I don't think Sunak particularly charmed or socialised his way to the top. My sense of who he is and how he conducts his social life from speaking to his colleagues is that he is a reasonably private person. He's pretty family focused. That means he's not left with a huge amount of time for Westminster socialising. Remember as well, and I think this is such an important element here, that he was one of the very early backers of Boris Johnson in the leadership contest. 
everyone thought Johnson was a bit of a joke in Westminster for a long time. A lot of MPs weren't huge fans of him. And it was when Rishi Sunak, Oliver Dowden and Robert Jemrick wrote a letter, an article in The Times saying that they were backing Boris Johnson as Prime Minister. That really changed Boris Johnson's trajectory. Once he had those three on side, suddenly there was this domino effect where a lot of other people within the party saw which way the wind was blowing and barreled in behind him. And so that's probably part of it as well. Rishi Sunak, in a way, is a large part responsible for putting Boris Johnson where he is. And Johnson presumably remembered that. Rishi Sunak doesn't really go in for Westminster socialising. What about Liz Truss? Liz Truss is very different. Liz Truss loves Westminster socialising. She's got a lot of close friends within Westminster, a lot of people she gets on with. Therese Coffey, her campaign manager, is pretty much her best friend within Westminster. And Therese Coffey is famous within Westminster for hosting karaoke parties at the end of parliamentary terms for MPs. And the big thing about Liz Truss is she absolutely loves karaoke. She is, by all accounts, not a great singer, but she more than makes up with it with her enthusiasm. That's what people who've been to some of these karaoke parties have told me, at least. Having been to far too many awful Westminster drinks receptions in my time, I've definitely seen her a lot more than I have Rishi Sunak. Coming up, while their social lives are very different, how are the candidates vying to show off their Thatcherite credentials? That's in just a moment. I'm Henry Zeffman, Associate Political Editor at The Times. It's my job to take you to the heart of Westminster, working out what's really going on in the corridors of power. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Charlotte, you've painted a picture of Rishi Sunak as a kind of establishment figure who has lived a a charmed political life and Liz Truss as a, a scrappy outsider who's had to fight for the successes that she's got. You have followed the leadership campaign. How have you seen them change? Liz Truss 
has become more relaxed as the leadership campaign has gone on. At the start, she was very stilted. I was at her campaign launch. And to be honest, at times she looked like she just didn't want to be there. She looked quite panicked. She was stumbling over her words sometimes. She has become more and more relaxed as the contest has gone on. And speaking to some of the people who've been around the country with her, they say she is a lot happier when she is going through a room of 200 members and chatting to each of them one on one. And her team are trying to bring some of that relaxation, some of that easy charm to her performance on stage. They don't think they're all the way there yet, but they definitely do think that they've made some difference and seen some results. Rishi Sunak, meanwhile, I would say has been broadly consistent. He is very good at answering questions in debates and challenging people in debates. He did have a bit of a phase where he did become slightly antagonistic. Under my plans, we would start paying down the debt in three years' time. So I'm not putting it on the never-never. I would start paying it down in three years. That's Uh, simply not right. You promised almost £40 billion. There was a sense from some of those around him that he had overstepped the mark. He has now reined that back in and gone back to that easy charm and acting like the front runner, even though he still isn't the front runner. Tell us about how they're trying to portray themselves in these hustings, in these public appearances. Rishi Sunak, very keen to establish himself as a family man. Liz Truss underscoring her credentials as a professional woman. Yes, Rishi Sunak has been very keen to talk about his family in the debates now. He always talks about his daughters and how they are his inspiration when it comes to climate change and when it comes to the environment. Well, I'll take advice from my two young daughters who are the experts on this in our household. And what they say to me is, I talked about energy efficiency before, but reducing energy usage through things like better energy efficiency is an obvious thing we can do. Whereas Liz Truss very much does not do the same thing. She keeps her family life very private. We haven't seen her kids, for example, rolled out for photo ops, although everyone who's worked with her will say that she is completely obsessed with her daughter. She thinks they're fantastic. My children were quite young when I was first elected, my two two daughters. So they don't know any different, I'm afraid, apart from doing things like canvassing, attending Conservative Party events, uh, talking about politics a lot. I think they're now they're now very clued up on foreign policy, a bit more clued up than they'd like to be. I think, again, that is in large part due to that invasion of her private life that she saw so early on in her career that has led to something of a guard being put up against further scrutiny, further intrusion into that part of her life. Both candidates have been really keen to impress upon the public their uh, Thatcherite credentials. Give us a quick rundown about how each of them are laying claim to be her true heir. Oh, this is rather a fun one. There are, of course, two competing schools of what conservatism is that are going on here. The Conservatives need a bold new economic plan. We need to get growth going. People are struggling with the cost of living. And that's why we need to cut taxes. You've got... Liz Truss saying the whole point of being a Conservative is to cut taxes, which Margaret Thatcher did do at points during her time as PM. She also notably very much didn't at other points. Then you've got Rishi Sunak saying, hang on. We all took a decision to protect the economy and support the NHS through COVID. And of course, we all knew there was a bill that we needed to pay for that. So the question is, should we pay that bill ourselves or do we put it on the country's credit card and pass the tab to our children and grandchildren to take care of. Now, I don't think that's right. 
I don't think it's responsible, and it's certainly not conservative. So each of them, in a way, laying some sort of economic claim to Thatcher's legacy. But it's also a stylistic choice. It is a PR choice. Live to Grantham in Lincolnshire now, where Conservative leadership candidate Rishi Sunak is speaking. Rishi Sunak launching his campaign in Grantham in Margaret Thatcher's birthplace. Then you had Liz Truss pretty much dressed up as Margaret Thatcher in one of the TV debates, although she, of course, denies she was dressing as Margaret Thatcher, which is astonishing given how they looked literally identical in those outfits. She's also posed on a tank like Thatcher did. Clearly, it is no harm to someone who wants to be a conservative leader to look a little bit like Mrs. Thatcher, given the affection that many conservative party members still hold her in. Margaret Thatcher was prime minister 40 years ago, though. How relevant is she to the problems we face today? Well, there's been a huge amount of ink spilt over this. And there is a sense, obviously, in which the problems the country faces today look nothing like the problems that you saw Margaret Thatcher trying to tackle back when she was prime minister. We're hearing about Margaret Thatcher because the candidates are talking primarily to Conservative Party members. And Margaret Thatcher just holds this hugely special and influential place in the hearts of many Tory members. So what does that say about the Conservative Party, its direction and its membership, that there is still this great nostalgia for Margaret Thatcher? Is it, is it a dangerous thing? Does it mean that they're, they're backwards looking? I think it possibly could be. And it's indicative of a slightly odd place that the Conservative Party finds itself in because it is an immensely electorally successful party. It has had leaders who have been electorally successful since Margaret Thatcher, not least Boris Johnson, of course. But it still seems to look back to Margaret Thatcher as something of a glory era. And I do wonder whether that is because there is this sense that they have been in government for an awfully long time, that perhaps the ideas are drying up. Some MPs even saying to me, we reckon we probably want a bit of a spell in opposition to refresh and renew ourselves and get new ideas. So I wonder if against that backdrop, against this sense of almost faded grandeur, they are looking back to an era where they did seem to be on the vanguard of new political and new economic thinking. Who do you think is going to win, Charlotte? Barring major accidents, I would have to go for Liz Truss. There really is this consistent line coming through all of the opinion polling that Truss is winning at this stage. The ballot papers have already started going out. People will already be sending them back and casting their votes. So Rishi Sunak has limited time to make up that ground. And we haven't seen a move in the polls since the start of the long campaign and the appeal towards the members. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times with me, Jenny Kleeman, and my guest, Times Radio's political correspondent and Sunday Times columnist, Charlotte Ivers. You can hear Charlotte regularly on Times Radio and follow the Conservative Leadership Contest at thetimes.co.uk. The producers were Sam Chantarasak and Edward Drummond. The executive producers today were Kate Ford and James Shield. And sound design was by David Crackles. If you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, or thoughts on what you've just heard, send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you tomorrow. <laughs>